Episode of the Virulent News Toxic Habits and Attitudes. I'm your host, Wayne Bibbs. Today I'm joined by a young lady whose uh, posts I, uh, I came across while browsing Twitter. And I was really struck by some of the things that she had to say. And I wanted to ask her to join us because, uh, as you may or may not know, if this is your first time hearing the podcast, this show is about uh, just what it says, toxic habits and attitudes that could prevent us from undertaking a writer's journey or actually anything in life. Uh, we get in our own way sometimes, or we'll let someone else get in our way, and we won't necessarily fight through it because we don't think it's the right thing to do or we don't believe we're worthy to protect ourselves, whatever it is. I know that I often felt that way. So when I read this young lady's posts, I said, now here's a young lady who does not let things get in her way. And I asked her if uh, she would share some of her uh, writer's journey, some of the obstacles, and some of the solutions with us, and she was kind enough to agree to do so. So uh, please allow me to introduce Madison Sasser. Hello, Madison. Hello, it's great to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you. Uh, now, as I was just saying, I ran across some of your posts, and I was really intrigued by some of the things that you have to say. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind, I'm, I would like for you, first of all, to introduce yourself, You know, tell us a little bit about you. So I am, my name's Madison, I am 23, um, I live in Tampa, graduated from the University of South Florida with a bachelor's in political science and a minor in creative writing, and I thought I was going to go to law school, that obviously did not go according to plan, so I started a blog about Gen Z employment trends, and I'm getting ready to launch a podcast along similar lines. You're getting ready to launch your own podcast. I am. Yeah, I have a co-host based in London. He graduated from Oxford. Um, and we're both Gen Z, um, which if you don't know, it's people born from 1997 through 2012, I want to say. And we break down Gen Z employment trends from our perspective. Okay. All right. Well, tell me a little bit about that. What exactly uh, are the trends as you see them? So, I don't know if you've heard a little bit about what people are calling the Great Recession, or people leaving the workforce for more flexible work-life balances. Um, and really, it's kind of giving employees the power back to kind of advocate for different working conditions. Obviously, it's not always easy when you're dealing with different power dynamics. So it's kind of about what we're looking for in life, what we're looking for in culture, and how our work environments and our goals kind of play into that. Okay. Now... 
just for, uh, I guess, comparison, when I was, you said you were 23. When, yeah, <laughs> long, long ago, when I was 23, uh, the basic idea was, yes, you go to school, but in the meantime, you you work, you do whatever job you is available, and you just you continue doing that, do whatever you have to do to just kind of support yourself. And for a lot of people, that turned into a lifelong career uh, that wasn't based on their ambition, their you know their desires, their their wants, it's more just their needs. And do you find that the, as you call them, Gen Zs are, are faced with that kind of a situation now? I think it depends on what your background is and where your family comes from. Um, I, I grew up in Florida, um, and I don't know if you know about prior towards 2008, but the housing market in Florida was booming. There was new construction everywhere, and my mom was a real estate agent, mm -hmm. and she kind of fell into it out of need because it was something that she started as a receptionist, and then she worked her way up. Um, and my dad was in aluminum sales, and he kind of started from the bottom, worked his way up. Neither one had finished college. Mm -hmm. um, and then when 2008 hit, I watched their incomes and their careers essentially disappear overnight. Um, and it's actually what I talk about a lot in some of my Gen Z content is how 2008, I think, is going to affect a generation in ways that we're only starting to realize as we're just starting to join the workforce. Okay. So at, at this point, would you say, or as, as, as of 2008, would you say that people are were less inclined to follow their heart and, and minds that whatever plans they may have had and just kind of do what's there or maybe. I think before 2008, I think that that may have been the attitude, um, mm -hmm. which obviously I had two parents that were both entrepreneurs. So I saw them have a lot more self-control over their career than most people have in typical careers. Mm -hmm. um, and then I had a lot of family that worked for the government and I saw kind of the different concessions that they had to make when you're working for a government and that kind of reputation. Um, and I had planned to follow their path to become a lawyer and to work my way up that way. And what I found as I was doing that is that a lot of my expectations weren't reality. And the things that I thought and I valued in my career were not always values that my employer shared. Okay, can you give us a give us an idea of what those values may have been? Yeah, so a part, big part of it is also figuring out how to build a life. And I think sometimes people don't always plan life. I think sometimes it just sort of happens. But for me, like, I, I'm a woman. I know that I want to have kids someday. And I know that I want to be a present parent as well as a, an employee that contributes. And the reality of life is that you have to make trade-offs. And so I was trying to figure out how I could have a career that also allowed me to have the family life that I want to create someday. And it's a conversation that I think people are starting to have in life because they saw all the concessions that their parents had to make. Yeah, and there are, there are quite a few concessions that, uh, that people find themselves having to make in life. But I must say, uh, again, just from your writing, it appears that you also carved out a bit of time to do uh, 
the other things that you wanted to do, specifically writing. Yeah, writing is something I've always done. Um, it's something I started at in high school, and it's just something that, you know, obviously you get a lot of validation from your teachers and from your peers, and it was the first time that I felt like people really started listening to me. Um, but it was also the way that I found my voice, and I found how, how to deal with difficult circumstances where I felt like I didn't always have the power that I wanted to have. And you felt that writing gave you that uh, little bit of that power. It did, because, you know, when people read your writing, if it's engaging, they keep reading. And sometimes whenever you're trying to talk, especially if there's a power differential, people don't always stop to listen to what you have to say. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely true. And I can tell you just from uh, the things that I've read of your writing, you do know how to keep your audience engaged, which is uh, not a very easy thing for everyone. Thank you. I really appreciate that. No, no, not at all. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you uh, decide what it is that you're going to write about. Um, so I think I decided on Gen Z employment trends because it's something that I knew was trending. Um, you're seeing a lot of headlines. I did have an internship where I wrote blogs for an attorney, mm -hmm. and I kind of learned how that process worked. Um, but and I was reading like Gen Z is ruining the workforce, and you could tell it was obviously written from an older perspective based what? on their values. Why in the world would anybody write that that young people are ruining the workforce? Um, I think it's because we work differently. Um, you know, like maybe we don't agree to coming into the office at 8 a.m. and staying till 5 p.m. when we could have worked from home or we could have had a little bit more flexibility. Um, and I know personally I have ADHD. I have a learning disorder that means sometimes the way that I work is different mm -hmm. or that sometimes it takes me longer to accomplish things I want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And from an outside perspective, it can look like I'm not trying or that I'm lazy or that I'm not the employee that I need to be. Got it. Okay. I, I understand. So, given that uh, technology has has evolved to the point where a lot of the tasks that uh, that people would normally have to go into the office uh, to accomplish can be done from home, can be done remotely. Uh, you have certain options that may actually work better for you, given your ADHD. Yes. Are people generally resistant to that type of idea? Um, they are, and from a certain, or from like an employee's perspective, I do understand. Um, for one, especially like when I was working in a law firm, there are certain security perspectives that you have to take into consideration. And there's, but I also think, and it's this idea that people learn a strategy that works from them, and then they like to keep it. Um, and I think it's because, you know, obviously having a learning disorder, I'm very understanding of the fact that you develop mechanisms and coping strategies that work for you. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of older employees developed coping strategies based on the technology that they had at the time. And it's very hard for them to adopt that strategy. And I think that part of business is learning how to involve and innovate and do things different, more productive ways. Or at least should be. Yeah, you should be able to find uh, if if there is a way that you can get productivity out of uh, out of a 
an employee who perhaps can't do things quite the way that you're used to, uh, that you should be able to accommodate them if, as, as we say, you have the resources, the technology, what have you. Right. But also coming from an early career standpoint, I'm not as valuable to a lot of companies as their senior executive. So it's a lot easier to cut loose somebody like me than it is mm. to adopt a new strategy. Yeah, okay. Uh, now, again, coming from my age, I'm almost 60 years old. Mm-hmm. And from at that stage, at your stage of life, uh, the general attitude was, this is what you're going to do. You will be here at this time. You will stay here until this time. And anything that happens here that you don't like, tough. So that's yeah. <laughs> that's kind of the uh, that's kind of the the attitude that that I faced that your mother and father faced uh, growing up in that time, and it it is a little bit strange for for most of us who are older to see the kind of not only flexibility but the the options that you have available to you uh, that can sort of ease a little bit of that stress but it is supplanted by others Uh, as you said it's easier for them to cut someone that doesn't maybe fit their idea of a model employee right and I think one of like my values and it's something that's very strong in me is I like people who are willing to talk with you and to figure something out and if there's something that's not working find a new solution and say, okay, how can we fix this together? Mm-hmm. And instead of shaming someone or instead of making them feel like they're in some way deficient, working with them to develop strategies that work. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, some, you've, I know you've got a, a work in progress. Uh, a novel, yes. And yes, in, ter- in terms of your novel. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so it's called What Would Scotty Do? Um, it's based on the letters that F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote to his daughter, Scotty. Um, and his, in his letters, she was, he was telling her how to avoid his mistakes um, and, his, and her mother's mistakes. Um, and if you know F. Scott Fitzgerald, his personal life is very well documented. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's about a young writer who was recently fired and then who was dumped in about the same month span. And she finds those letters and she thinks that if she can finish the novel, that she can get her ex-boyfriend back. Um, so that's what the novel's about. Um, and it kind of mirrors Fitzgerald's life as well, because he was about 23, 24 when he published his first novel. And he published it because Zelda would not agree to marry him. So he thought by publishing the novel, she would agree to marry him, and she did. The true happy ending. I mean, was it a happy ending? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, at least it had the potential to be. It did, yes. Okay. Uh, And you're, as you said, you're also doing a a podcast with your your friend in, in London? Okay, how uh, how's it going? How's the preparation for that going? Um, 
it's going pretty well. Um, when I was interning for a family law attorney in Tampa, we ended up launching a podcast, um, mm-hmm. and we did it from the idea to the execution. So I kind of got to learn how the process worked. Um, so usually when you're releasing a podcast, at least in my experience, you kind of batch record a couple episodes, so that way you have some, like, backlog in case you get, you know, in case life happens. Um, so right now we've recorded a couple, we're getting ready to finalize the art and then finalize the music, and then we're hoping to start editing and releasing. I'm not quite sure when that'll happen, but I'm hoping it'll happen in the next couple months. Okay, that's actually pretty fast. Yeah, um, so that's kind of the thing is, um, obviously when you're kind of doing it yourself and you're working with different people, you know, deadlines and things kind of get pushed based on whatever is happening, but... It's something that I've had and then worked for a little bit, so I'm something I'm really excited about. Well, I'll be looking forward to that. One last thing that I, I wanted to talk to you about, and I'm going to be very careful about how I approach this, okay? Okay. And the only reason that I'm even going to approach it is because uh, in in your tweets, you you touch on it and you don't go into great detail, obviously. That's understandable. But you do mention it, and uh, so I just want to ask you a little bit about it. You spoke of uh, a situation where you lost the job that you had and uh, that you were in a relationship that came to a bit of an end. But But you were able to... Uh, to continue your writing and everything. And and I want you to talk a little bit about uh, dealing with various disappointments, but still being able to continue to function as, as it pertains to your writing and to to blogging and what have you. Yeah. And it's hard because there are so many things that I want to say, but obviously there's only so much that I'm allowed to say. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there was one time where I said, you know, it's disappointing when you work for people that you admire so much um, and you disappoint them. And in some ways they disappoint you. Um, And, but you also have to kind of look at it as a whole in the situation and you have to say, well, did I show up and did I try to communicate and did I try to do all of the things that I wanted to do? And I, in my opinion, I did do that and I did make mistakes and I did, struggle to show up in other ways and it's also taking accountability for that um so that's kind of how I handled that situation um but it was also validating to me because before I took that job I didn't know if I wanted to go to law school or if I wanted to try to pursue being a writer and that to me made me decide that no I really did want to go all in on my writing um and I kind of started just like obviously the relationship ended and I was very upset and I just kind of started tweeting, and I remember there was one night where I just tweeted, and I'm like, you know, I've always believed that there was something better for me out there. It's how I've coped with various disappointments in life. And, like, this is the first time where I really don't know if I believe that. Um, and a lot of people really responded to that, and they reached out. And I had some Twitter followers that, honestly, like, they messaged me every day to make sure I was okay. <laughs> and I know just kind of the support that I got was very great, but it was also based because even though tweets, they're short, it's based on your writing. And I found it as a way to kind of, like, be very honest about what I was experiencing um, and also, like, 
when people responded to my honesty, it made me realize that my writing is something special and it's something that's worth pursuing. Absolutely, it is. It is. And once again, I know I keep saying this, but it's true. Just from little snippets of, of your writing, just seeing your writing style, uh, I can tell you're going to you're going to be wonderful when uh, this this novel of yours that's coming out is going to be great. I know that just because you're able to communicate through small bits of dialogue. When you when you give yourself the the time, the room to really expand on that, you're going to be awesome. Thank you, and that's a big part of why I think documenting the process as it unfolds is important. Because sometimes you get to meet successful writers, but you don't know all the setbacks or everything that they went through until they got to that point. Mm -hmm. And it's important for me to, because not only in my age, like, there's a lot for me still to learn. And there's a lot of growth to still be had. And it's also about trying to attract the people that are willing to help me get there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But now, let's say that in the midst of this, uh, you have a you began another relationship not that you're necessarily looking for one or that you're necessarily against one right now but let's say that you're in that you know in the midst of everything that you're doing you it happens uh this is not is this going to be a, a taylor swift kind of a thing where the the details of it end up in a song or a blog does anybody have to worry about that um I think I'm very careful not to use real names or identifying details. Um, but yes, like I do write about my experiences. I actually just shared a short story. I don't know if you had a chance to read it yet. It was about a failed relationship I had in college mm -hmm. um, about someone who the relationship was going really well. Honestly, like to this day, if you were to reach out, I would still give him another chance. I think he's a great guy. Um, and he struggled with depression and it ended up impacting our relationship. Um, and I think it's important to share authentic relationships because relationships aren't always as perfect as they seem in books. And I think people, especially with mental health issues, should see themselves represented in literature, um, you know, as people who are good people who struggle sometimes and need extra support. Um, so there's this quote that I've always loved. I'm not quite sure who said it, but if you wanted me to write warmly, you should have behaved better. <laughs> I like that. I like. I don't know if you uh, if you are familiar with most stand up comedians, uh, but there's one named Gabriel Iglesias, and he said uh, once that one of the things that keeps his relationship with his girlfriend going is that she knows that if she messes up, it's going in the act. <laughs> <laughs> it's going. You know, he's he's going to go out on stage. And find some humorous but you know accurate way of telling everybody what happened. So you know when she starts getting a little bass in her voice and she decides that she wants to go at him, he breaks out a pad of paper. Yeah, go ahead, tell me what's what's on, what's on your mind and gets gets ready to write. And she stops and thinks for a minute because <laughs> she doesn't want all of this to go public. Yeah, and it's hard finding that line of what is appropriate to share in a public sphere and what is not. Um, and it's something that I'm still trying to learn. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I think is important is telling all sides of the stories as you understand them to be. And really trying to consider the other person's perspective before you start to write. 
because you want to portray them as accurately as you can. And obviously there are things that you will never understand, internal roles that you will never know. But I think it's important to give them the benefit of the doubt when you can. Oh, yeah, yeah. One last thing. Uh, on one of your, in one of your tweets, you mentioned uh, a Bible verse. You said that you weren't particularly religious, but this particular Bible verse uh, is one that you occasionally lean on. And would you mind sharing that right now? Yeah, um, it was the Bible verse that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Um, and it's something that I've kind of realized is true lately. When events that seem to supposed to be derail you, and times when people are intentionally cruel or not understanding. And I think that word intentional is very important because there are a lot of things that you would hope that are not intentional that seem to be intentional. Sure. Um, and when it, in these events or these actions by these people that were supposed to put me down, I felt like only made me stronger. And when I would come out and say, hey, like, this is what happened, it wasn't cool, and, like, at the times I found the most support from other people. And while, like, I'm not religious and I don't agree with, like, the religious vindication that might come from it, I do think that people tend to reveal themselves. And there was a great lawyer that mentored me at one point, and she would always say that she would let her witnesses hang themselves and that she would just let them keep talking because they didn't realize that they were actually making themselves look worse. And sometimes you just kind of have to step up, take a step back because <laughs> <laughs> people reveal themselves. Yes, they will. They will. I wanted to... Uh... I liked what you said there. I wanted to share uh, something. I, too, have a Bible verse. It's uh, it's not the same one, but it's from 2 Timothy, Timothy, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 1, verse 7. And it says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but one of strength, one of love, and of a sound mind. And I try to keep that in mind. It kind of, it's kind of the long-winded way of saying God doesn't make junk. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I really like the message there. You know, we were meant to, we were meant to be strong. We were meant to stand up for ourselves, and we were meant to be able to resist or endure when uh, these things happen to us, you know, things that, that come against us. But as you said, these weapons will not prosper. Right. And uh, there's also another Bible verse. Um, it's, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, yes. you can move mountains, as I think. And it's something that my grandmother would always tell me growing up. She, she'd just be like, mustard seed. Um, <laughs> and she actually gave me a little necklace with a mustard seed in it so that I wouldn't forget. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Madison, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing your insights and experiences uh, with us. Uh, what, what would the name of your podcast be? Do you, do you have that established yet? Yeah, it's going to be called the Genzennial Crisis Podcast. Mm-hmm. And we, we think that we're about you know two to, let's say, four months away from that. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good deadline. Well, later on, I hope that uh, I can ask you back and you can give us an update on what's going on with that. 
and maybe we can have you on. I would love it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for uh, for speaking with us today. Greatly appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, not at all. And everyone else, thank you for uh, for tuning in and listening. This has been the Virulent News: Toxic Habits and Attitudes. I'm your host, Wayne Bibbs. I look forward to speaking with you again in the very near future. And until then, take care. Thank you.